The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. We greet you here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, whether you are here present with us at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, whether you are listening on the radio at WBUR 90.9 FM, or listening over internet signals at WBUR.org. My name is Brother Larry Whitney. I have the privilege of serving as University Chaplain for Community Life here at Marsh Chapel. I bear greetings on behalf of our Dean, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Hill, as he is away in these summer months and will be back two weeks hence. A special word of greeting this morning to our preacher, the Reverend Dr. Regina L. Walton, pastor and rector of Grace Episcopal Church in Newton Center, Massachusetts, and Boston University doctoral alumna. Gathered in this place for worship as a community of faith, let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. Grant to us, Lord, we pray, the spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we, who cannot exist without you, may by you be enabled to live according to your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. We gather this morning as a community of faith in a spirit of repentance and confession, and we make our confession silently in our hearts as the choir sings aloud the traditional Kyrie.
new creation comes to life and grows as Christ's new body takes on flesh and blood. The universe restored and whole will sing. Alleluia. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. And so Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? about himself or about someone else. Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
lesson from the first epistle of St. John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears that fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please join me in reading verses from Psalm 133 responsibly with the antiphon. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. rise as you are able for the glory of Patri and the reading of the gospel.
Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Glory to you, O Lord. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm very happy to be back with you at Marsh Chapel and happy also to have a front row seat for this exquisite choir and organ music and greetings to you also who are listening on the radio. Our theme this summer is the beloved community. So it's a little funny for me to begin with a story about a hermit, but that's what I'm going to do. This story comes from my favorite religious psychologists, the desert fathers and mothers of the fourth century. It's called The Angry Brother and the Water Jug. A brother was a monk in a monastery and was often moved to anger, so he said to himself, I will leave and go live by myself, and because I won't have anything to do with anyone and will be at peace, my passion will cease. So he left and lived in a cave by himself. One day he filled a small jug with water and put it on the ground, and all of a sudden it fell over. He picked it up and filled it a second time, and again it fell over. Then he filled it a third time, and it fell over. Enraged, he grabbed hold of the jug and broke it. When he came to himself, He knew he had been mocked by the evil one and said, I've left and gone to live by myself, and even here I've been defeated. Therefore, I will return to the monastery. There needs to be struggle and patient endurance and God's help everywhere. And he got up and returned. The Desert Fathers and Mothers were a quirky bunch, but I love them. With just a few words and a few key details, their stories express so much about the human quest to know the divine, brevity and clarity. Would that preachers had these gifts as well, but they elude so many of us in the pulpit. The monk in this story thinks at first that his brothers are getting in the way of his spiritual development. He has a quick temper, and in community, he has a lot of other people to exercise it on. Much better, he thinks, to live alone with no annoying fellow monks around. Then he'll make some real progress. Of course, he realizes after he smashes the innocent water jug that it is not his fellow monks who are the problem, but himself. Community, he's come to understand, is not a stumbling block after all. It's a training ground, a school of virtues, a school of love. This is a sermon in two parts. 
The first part is about Christian community and why we should bother with it. And the second part names three qualities of beloved communities as I see them. When Jesus in John's Gospel talks about beloved community, he uses the word abide. Jesus says in John 15, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide is now archaic, except maybe for the movie The Big Lebowski, where the dude abides. We don't say, abide here in the car while I run into Starbucks. Abide by the law is one of the only current uses of the word. Some other contemporary translations of the Bible use remain in my love instead, but there is reason to retain abide apart from the poetry of it. None of the synonyms for abide fully capture the state of being that Jesus is describing. It can mean remain or stay, but it also has shades of waiting and expectance, waiting in this state of love until Jesus comes again to dwell another archaic word, in Christ's love. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the Bible, the message, translates this verse as, make yourself at home in my love. He's connecting abide to another word to which it's related, abode. An abode is the place where you abide. God welcomes us into God's love, and this love is our shelter. But Jesus in asking the disciples to abide in his love and to keep his commandment to love one another, is using a poetic word to ask them to do something that is extremely difficult. The abode that he is inviting them into has many other guests, all trying to make themselves at home as well. To abide in Christ's love requires something from us, it's not just a cozy meeting of like-minded individuals. It's hard work. All of us trying to make ourselves at home in God's love, we bump elbows sometimes. That is part of the appeal of being what is commonly referred to as spiritual but not religious, or as it's sometimes abbreviated, SBNR. One could be SBNR, without any kind of community. Or, SBNR community can be fluid and without much accountability, like a yoga class. One advantage of finding God in watching a sunset or on a mountaintop instead of at church is that, well, you don't have to deal with anybody else on the mountaintop. It's just you and the view. But the story of the angry brother in the water jug challenges the SBNR view of things. There needs to be struggle and patient endurance and God's help everywhere. Getting away from it all spiritually will only get us so far. Emily Dickinson is one of my favorite poets. Actually, I think of her as my former employer since I used to work as a docent in her house when I was in college in western Massachusetts. She famously wrote, some keep the Sabbath going to church, I keep it staying at home, with a bobo link for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Beautiful lines, deeply true for her, since she loved nature with all her heart and really hated going to church. Actually, if there had been radio church in Dickinson's day, I think she probably would have tuned in, if only for the hymns. Every summer for the past 15 years, I've gone to a retreat center where I can look out on a meadow and hear lots of birds, maybe even a bobo link or two, though I'm not sure I would recognize one. And that time apart is very important to the health of my soul. That time of awe and wonder in God's creation has given me many wonderful gifts. But it can't give me everything I need. The peace of the meadow refreshes me, but only for a while until I'm stuck in traffic again. The birds with their peaceful chirping can help to give me some clarity about the parts of my life where I'm falling short, but the opportunities to actually 
do that work of interchange require leaving the meadow. Because in order to grow into the full stature of our exemplar Jesus, there needs to be struggle and patient endurance and God's help everywhere. Patient endurance is a good synonym for abiding. Patiently endure in my love. Hang in there in my love. It's a process. The New York Times pundit David Brooks, in some of his columns and in his recent book, The Road to Character, says this, It occurred to me that there were two sets of virtues, the resume virtues and the eulogy virtues. The resume virtues are the skills you bring to the marketplace. The eulogy virtues are the ones that are talked about at your funeral, whether you were kind, brave, honest, or faithful. Were you capable of deep love? We Christians might call eulogy virtues the fruit of the Spirit from Paul's list in Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm a parish priest. What I hope we are on our best days at my parish, Grace Church in Newton Corner, is a school for eulogy virtues. We are all students, and Jesus is our teacher. It's a funny kind of school since no one ever graduates. We don't graduate, but we do grow. It's an organic curriculum, the Jesus-following life. And Jesus, our teacher, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Stay close, Jesus says. That's how you become more like me. The best grapes are produced closest to the vine, where the nutrients are. That's why the branches are pruned, so they don't get too long. Long branches ramble away from the vine and produce small and sour grapes. So spiritually, we want to stay close to our energy source. Otherwise, we're just putting our sour grapes out there into a world that has enough sourness and bitterness already. How do we do this? How do we abide in Christ's love, staying close to our energy source? In my tradition, the Episcopal Church, we take the vows of our baptismal covenant as the blueprint for abiding. The first set of questions is about our Christian beliefs, but then there are questions about how we are to live our lives. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers? Will you persevere in resisting evil, and whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord? Will you proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving your neighbor as yourself? In all persons. This is not easy stuff, by the way. Will you strive for justice and peace among all people, and respect the dignity of of every human being? And the answer to all of these questions is, I will with God's help, because there needs to be struggle and patient endurance and God's help everywhere. We answer these questions not only with our lips, but with our lives every day. And of course, we fail at them all the time and ask God's forgiveness and begin again. That's part of abiding, too, the grace of always beginning again. Very few of us are cut out to be spiritual hermits. In community, we learn from each other and we learn about ourselves. We abide. At my parish, our abiding usually involves food and lots of it. Abiding and constant snacks go quite well together, actually. Jesus uses the image of vines and branches. Branches tend to be all tangled up with each other. There's a messiness in that. Many of us would prefer it if Jesus had used, say, houseplants for his model, each one of us in our own little self-enclosed pot. But we're not houseplants. We're vine branches, tangled, woven together, sometimes in each other's way. Beloved communities are examples of mutual abiding. They are also places of radical welcome, That's why the story we heard from Acts 
of Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch is a story of the beloved community to me. Two people in the middle of nowhere, not much of a community on the surface, but nevertheless a story of how we come to abide in God's love and a story that reminds us that Christians are made, not born. Following Christ is a process of becoming. This story is from the early days after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, when the disciples are learning to listen to the Holy Spirit guiding them. And Philip hears the Spirit telling him to head south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Holy Spirit as GPS. The text says, this is a wilderness road. And as he walks along this road, he comes upon the chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official in charge of the queen's treasury. Philip hears the eunuch reading from the scroll of Isaiah, since these are the days when everyone read aloud. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says, how can I, unless someone guides me? This story reminds us that the Bible was just as confusing then as it is today. And it reminds us, too, that the church has always been struggling with issues of sexuality and race and culture. After all, being a eunuch was hardly a lifestyle choice promoted by ancient Judaism. The eunuch had been at the temple in Jerusalem to worship, but he likely would not have made it past the outer gates because of his sexual difference. He was a proselyte, or maybe he was what was called a God-fearer, a Gentile who was attracted to Judaism, but for cultural or ethnic reasons did not convert. In any case, he had made a very long journey to sit in the outer courtyards of the temple. A person of great importance in his country, he would remain a second-class citizen in the Jewish faith. And yet, A hunger to know the God of Israel drew him over many miles to Jerusalem. Philip joins him in the chariot, and they continue on together as Philip opens the scriptures to him and tells him about Jesus and about baptism and about adoption as God's children through Christ. When they pass some water, the eunuch says, What is to prevent me from being baptized? And so the Wilderness Road becomes a place of beloved community, of radical inclusivity. The eunuch goes home, no longer on the outside looking in, but as part of the whole, a member of the body of Christ. What good news this was to him. Philip doesn't just welcome him, he forms him in faith. He interprets the scriptures to him. He listens to him. He answers his questions and addresses his confusion. In all of this, he's led by the Spirit. Philip walks the wilderness road, but he brings all the resources of his faith with him. He's open to the Spirit and its surprises, but it is the practices that he has cultivated in synagogue and with Jesus and the disciples of prayer, of scripture reading, of discernment that he has to offer. We're in a moment as people of faith when we are called to walk the wilderness road. We're called to reach out and walk alongside new people in new places and to be open and adaptable in ways not imaginable before. But we won't be very effective in all of this if we leave the resources of our tradition behind us. We won't be effective out in the wilderness if we've left behind the practices of prayer and scripture reading and meditation and worship and discernment that nourished us within the walls of our churches. We won't succeed with the new technology as rapidly as it evolves if we also don't remain plugged in to the old school technology of relationships and showing up for each other in authentic ways. We won't succeed as faith-based activists if we are not also faith-based contemplativists, always listening for the Spirit's guidance. Philip's witness to the eunuch teaches us all these things. 
So beloved community is about abiding with God and with each other in Jesus' name. And beloved community is about radical welcome, taking the tools we've learned in our sanctuaries and carrying them out to the wilderness road. And there's one more thing. Beloved community is about what we will not abide. Martin Luther King Jr., a graduate of this university, spoke about the beloved community as the outcome, the end result of nonviolence. It is the fruit that grows out of this good soil. So inherent in the beloved community is a continuing stance against violence and oppression in all forms. The epistle reading from 1 John reminds us of this. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers and sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. Today is the one-year anniversary of the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson. I hope to God that we are on the verge of a new civil rights movement in this country. There are things that we cannot abide if we want to be the beloved community, if we dare to proclaim that we follow Jesus. We live in a complicated world, but there are three things that should not be complicated for us in the church. There are three things that are really no-brainers for us to get behind as American Christians of any stripe for us to march for and to demonstrate for and to pray for and to be a force for change. Three things about which there is no excuse for our silence or our inattention. We simply cannot abide them. First, systemic racism, especially against African Americans and people of color. I believe the church is especially called to stand up to systemic racism as it is expressed in our public schools and in our criminal justice and prison systems. There are special opportunities for the witness of the church there. The church is already there, and we need more of us to be there. Next, the peculiar institution of American gun violence. It doesn't have to be this way, and we all know that. In fact, it is this way nowhere else in the world. This epidemic combined with the epidemic of racism in our land, you read the papers too, you know it has to stop. We have unique opportunities as people of faith to witness against gun violence and for peace, to change the laws, to change our culture. So many lives needlessly ripped away. How many more? But perfect love casts out fear. Third, the destruction of the environment. It's right there in Genesis. This world, this created order is good and it is sacred. Time is running out. We have abused our position as stewards of the earth. Jesus called us to lives of simplicity and generosity, to live in harmony with each other, resisting the forces of greed and waste. We serve the God of love and life. In these three areas, the shadow of death is creeping over us. We serve the God of reconciliation, of resurrection, of recreation. There needs to be struggle and patient endurance and God's help everywhere. And God's help is everywhere. Indeed, that is the only way we can hope to have any impact on these issues at all. The only way. Struggle and patient endurance and calling on God's help. That is the real stuff of abiding. May God bless us and empower us to live out this calling together and in Christ's name.
Amen. may be seated. The Apostle Paul noted, we should devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So let us come personally and collectively to prayer, standing, sitting, kneeling, or however the Spirit moves you. The call to prayer this morning is hymn 473, Lead Me, Lord.
Heavenly God, we praise you, for you transcend race and gender, yet made each of us in your image. We ask for your presence so that we may live a life that upholds that image of love. Abide with us in our thoughts. Help us to consider how we can reflect your love in service to others. Abide with us in our sight. Help us to see the beauty of your, transit, your, of your creation and see opportunities to preserve and protect it. Abide with us in our voice. Help us to speak words of love, encouragement, and praise. Abide with us in our hearts. Help us to live in a more excellent way with love. Abide in us so that we will act according to your will and serve, protect, preserve, and love. We know that you are faithful to all of your promises and loving to all of your creation. Hear our prayers, for we offer them with the faith that you are near to all who call on you in truth. We pray these things in the name of the true vine, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, in a, as a community of faith, we pray together as the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel and invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red book found along the center aisle of each pew, passing that book along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We are grateful for Gina's presence with us this morning in preaching and fellowship and our fellowship with uh, Grace Episcopal in Newton Corner. We look forward next week to uh, the return of the Reverend Brittany Longstorff, who served until mid-July mid as university chaplain for international students here at Marsh Chapel, and, for, and who is now serving as director of religious life at Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. She will wrap us up on the theme of beloved community next week. As the fall term uh, emerges, come September, our annual matriculation service will take place on Sunday, August 30th, here at 11 o'clock in the nave of Marsh Chapel. We hope to see you then, and keep an eye to the Marsh Chapel website, bu.edu chapel, for all of our upcoming services and activities, as, as well as the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we invite you to meditate on Moses Hogan's setting of the traditional spiritual, We Shall Walk Through the Valley in Peace. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
merciful God, who gave us the gift of grace through your Son, Jesus Christ, we thank you for the loving kindness you bestow upon us. Accept the offerings that we give today and let them foster in us a love and service for the beloved community in our words and deeds this week. We pray this in the name of your Holy Spirit. Amen. has made you holy, has always protected you, and loves you as a mother. Go in peace to follow the good road, and may the blessing of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. <laughs> 